begin by asking you a question. When you travel, what kind of person are you? Do you like to get from point A to point B as fast as you can? Or uh, do you like the scenic route in which you can take in as much as you can? Several years ago, my wife and I and family lived in Lower Michigan in Flint, and our family lived here in Green Bay and scattered throughout the state of Wisconsin. So we had two routes to choose from. The southern route was a faster one. It was almost all highway, and it gave you the privilege of going on the tollways of Indiana and Illinois and driving through Chicago. Or there was the scenic route where you could go through the Upper Peninsula and take in such great places like Escanaba and Hog Island and Cut River. And as you would make your way through the lower Michigan portion, there was Hardwick Pines. But you would add some time to your trip if you did that. Well, I found myself, I, while I'm usually a point A to point B guy, uh, given the choice between tollways in Chicago and going through the UP, it seemed like the scenic route was more often the best choice. God seems to be about the scenic route. Now, we can look at this passage that Gary read for us this evening, and we could just jump right in here and say, I'm familiar with this story. In fact, I have a nativity scene posted in my uh, living room. It comes out each year during Christmas time. And with our children, we have these little figurines that we set up and we go through this story. But we can lose sight that Luke 2 is this portion in the Bible, but there's a good inch here before that. And there's a, a great context that if we don't uh, honor, we, we could miss the story. The story of the Bible, the conflict is introduced in the third chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, where one man sins, and by that one sin of disobedience, sin spreads to all mankind. And so there's this great fundamental problem of division between man and God, man and man and man and himself. And even before you get out of Genesis chapter 3, that same chapter in which there is this sin revealed, there is a promise of a Savior. And if you move forward several chapters in Genesis chapter 12, you see that there is Abraham. We're promised there that from Abraham there will be a descendant. We can move forward a little bit further in, in Genesis 28 and from Abraham's son Isaac, there's this promise that he will have a descendant that will be blessed. He'll be the Savior. There's a descendant of Jacob or his son Judah. There's a promise there that from this descendant of Judah, there will be born a Savior. And you could skip ahead to the second book of the Bible in Moses, where he predicted a prophet would come after him. That was over 3,300 years ago or 1,300 years before the first Christmas. And then David, it was said, there was this prophecy, this promise that he would always have a descendant on the throne. And that was a thousand years before the first Christmas. There was the prophet Isaiah around 700 years before the first Christmas that prophesied that there would be a virgin that would conceive. You don't hear about that every day. And that that child born to her would be called Emmanuel. 
God with us. There's another prophet named Micah. We learn there that this Savior would be born in this little town of Bethlehem in Micah 5, verse 2. And so when we look at this passage in Luke 2 that was just read for us moments ago, we see all sorts of signs of pieces coming together. We saw there in chapter 2, verse 1, that Caesar Augustus is now the ruler of this time. And he may have thought that it was a good idea to have a census, but little did he know that God was turning his heart to have that census because he needed to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem because that's where the Savior would be born. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And we read there in chapter 2, verse 4, it was Joseph who went up from Galilee. And who is this significant person, Joseph? Maybe not much significance at all, other than that he was a descendant of David. It was Bethlehem there in verse 4 that he had to go because this is where the Savior would be born. And the shepherds there in verses 8 and following just happened to be in the fields. There's a great verse in Galatians 4.4 that says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This word fullness there in Galatians 4.4 speaks about the right timing. When I was a boy, I remember getting a bike lock. Now, it wasn't a padlock that had a dial in which you would turn. Rather, it was like the shape of a rectangle that had a whole bunch of digits, like four digits, and you'd have to get those all lined up, three, two, nine, six. And if they were all lined up, then it would come loose. It's as if there is a lock, lock here in this passage. The timing is just right. It's not just four digits, but maybe it's 4,000 digits where God in his providence is now lining everything up at just the right time. The census is made. Joseph is now there in Bethlehem. And there is Mary, this virgin that is about ready to give birth. And the final digit is moved. And now the plan is going to unfold. This fullness of time. It's like when a young man that senses this young lady is the one whom God would have me to marry He has had the the permission of the father and mother of that young lady. And now he is just waiting for the right timing to propose to her. It's a farmer who is out waiting for the right conditions to plant or to harvest. It's the bow hunter that has been scouting all season and is waiting for the buck to come across the trail and wait for him just to pass that tree for the right timing so that he can get that right shot. God takes the scenic route. He has waited for all these things just to line up and then to bring the Savior, Jesus. Now, what is it that we observe during this scenic route that we can call the Old Testament? Fortunately, we have it. And I would say, fortunately, the Savior didn't come in Genesis chapter 4 because we have all these chapters to read of this prophesied Savior that would come. There's something called types, where we see a glimpse of 
what Jesus will be like as we read the thousands of years leading up to him. We read that he is kind of like Adam. In that, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, Adam sinned and it influenced everyone. Well, Jesus' act of obedience and, and going to the cross to die for our sins could influence everyone as well, that there is forgiveness of sins offered. He is also a type like the Passover lamb that sheds his blood so that others might experience life. He's like the tabernacle that symbolized God's presence with his people. But now he lives with us. I'll provide a little note here that that's exactly what Zach's going to be preaching on on Sunday morning, that we experience loneliness, but God's presence is with us. Another type is that he is like Boaz, if you know the story in the book of Ruth, where Boaz was the kingsman redeemer. This Jesus that would be born is our redeemer who has purchased our inheritance. Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days, but our Jesus would be in the grave for three days. And there's many more types that we see during this scenic route of waiting for the Savior to be born. But all this scenery eventually finds its conclusion in the person of Jesus here in Luke chapter 2. We read in verse 11 that he is a Savior. The purpose of his arrival was that he would live a sinless life and he would take the wrath of God, he would take your sin upon himself that you might experience the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of your sins. We see also in verse 11 that he is Christ. He is the anointed one the one whom God has sent. He is the only one who can carry out his plan. And then we also see there in verse 11 that he is the Lord, that there is no one else that is truly king other than Jesus. And all of us are to submit and bend our knee either now or sometime in eternity that he truly is Lord. But unlike your favorite Christmas movie, that has a beginning and ending, this story here in Luke 2 is a living story. In fact, it's still going on today. This Savior was born to save not only the sins of the shepherds and the wise men and the prostitutes and the tax collectors in the Bible times, but he was born to save your sins as well. On this Christmas Eve service, we love to provide an opportunity to sing some of these old songs and, and maybe in some way provide some nostalgic feeling for you. But it's beyond that for us. It's really about upholding this Jesus. He has come. He has come to die for your sins. But would you allow him to save you from your sins? You know, there's a difference between him being a savior and my Savior. I was uh, blessed this afternoon as we were sitting around for a Christmas Eve meal. And as we were gathering, uh, we paused to pray. And I said, how about this? How about one of you boys, why don't you pray just thanking God for the food? And how about another one of you boys, thank God for our health? Last year, not all of us made the Christmas Eve service because a few family members had COVID. 
So let's thank God for our health. And then thirdly, why don't one of you boys thank God for sending Jesus our Savior? So the boys began to pray. And then the last boy that prayed for a Savior, I could tell it meant something to him. It wasn't that Jesus was just a Savior, but something happened between last Christmas and this Christmas where Jesus was not only a Savior, but he was now this boy's my, my Savior. He became a follower of Jesus. Has that happened to you? Have you come to a place where you've just said, I want you, Jesus, to save me from my sins? Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to be Lord of my life. You see, this story goes on today. There's one more chapter that will be written in this story, and that is Jesus will come back. Why hasn't he come back yet? I think he's taking the scenic route so that you would hear a message like this, and that you would have an opportunity to be a part of this story, to be a follower of Jesus. So don't, don't miss out on that this evening. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that this is a living book. We're not here doing fairy tales. We're not here singing songs that are just make us feel good. But we're singing truth. And this story that took place is literal. Even, even the harshest skeptic acknowledges that Jesus was born and that Jesus lived among us. We see that Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And friend, if you could acknowledge yourself that you are lost, uh, I wonder if you would do that tonight. Would you admit your sin and your need of a Savior? Would you say, I want you to be king. I want you to be Lord of my life. Oh, do it. Do it right where you're at. And then I pray that you would just live a life then of seeking Christ through the Scriptures, finding a Bible-preaching church that, that just preaches the Word. Be around other Christians. I would encourage you and pray with you. Join this wonderful story that is unfolding even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you've heard this before, and maybe today, tonight you're thinking, I think I need to investigate that further. You know, this is a great time to do that. Often, on January 1st, it's an opportunity to think, you know what, I want to do something different this coming year. As a church, this whole 2021, we did a read-through-the-Bible program, and we're almost finished. There's a great Bible app. There's several out there where you could just get into a program. If you don't want to read through the whole Bible in this coming year, just read through the New Testament and just say, Jesus, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me and see what he might do. Well, let's sing this last song. It's a, a classic song. It's Silent Night, Holy Night. And why don't you sing it with me, and then we'll be dismissed. Ooh.